this morning we have a guest with us, a friend, um, and uh, so um, John Barkanik is here to preach for us this morning. And I just usually, you know, John has preached for us um, a handful of times this year and in the last couple of years, and oftentimes it's when I am not around. Um, and uh, but uh, since I am here and I have the microphone, and he doesn't yet. Uh, I just want to say how much I love and appreciate you both um, and your wisdom and your friendship and your encouragement to me and. Uh, I just very much am so thankful uh, for the ways God has put us into each other's lives, and uh, both of you just are so special and important, and uh, just thank you for all the ways that you have served me and my family and served our church. Uh, I love you guys both very much, so will you guys please welcome John Barkanik up as he brings the word. Thank you, thank you, Pastor Tim. I love you too, man. You're not getting my Bud Light, though. All right. Good morning. How are you? Um, yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag today, isn't it? Um, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be a little interactive. So I would ask you not to just jump up in the middle of things and start yelling. But I will ask you at certain points to respond verbally. So hopefully that won't freak anybody out too much. Um, but it will also help keep you awake, I hope. Let's look at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's about this far from the front of the Bible. If you don't have your own Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. And uh, I think the bookmarks actually are set to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18, which actually starts in the middle of a long sentence. So the book of Ephesians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, and Paul liked run-on sentences. And so what we have here is one sentence that starts in chapter 1, verse 15, and goes all the way to verse 22. So we're going to jump in in the middle. So I won't um, try to read the whole run on sentence for you. But the beginning, I'll read it to give you a little bit of context. So we're going to start chapter 1, verse 15. Nope. Chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Oh, what the heck does that mean? So Paul is praying and he prays that God would open the eyes of their hearts that you may know, and he's going to list three things. So, enlighten the eyes of their hearts, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So he's praying that their hearts would be enlightened so that they would know those three things. So we are going to talk about those three things today, and we're going to talk about them in the context of email. Paul didn't have email 2,000 years ago, but if he did, he would probably hate it uh, as much as I do. How many of you love getting new email? Yeah. How many of you get more than 10 email a day? More than 20 email a day? More than 30 email a day? More than 50 email a day. 100? Okay. Oh, 
And of those 30 to 100 emails, <coughs> excuse me, how many of them are incredibly important? 5%? 95%? Hardly any, right? We get tons and tons of messages, most of which aren't really all that important. In fact, studies have shown that at work, the average American spends 31% of their time on email. 31%. That's more than 25%. That's more than 30%. That's more than 30.5%. It's a lot, right? It's almost a third of your time is spent on email, which is a little bit ridiculous. So, of all of those messages, hardly any of them are important, but you still have to go through them, right? You're still getting them. The world sends us email every day. The world sends us messages. Society around us sends us messages every day. And sometimes we might not even realize that we're getting these messages. You turn on the TV, you watch a sitcom, you're getting messages. Remember the old show Friends? They once did an um, analysis of the apartments in the show Friends. They're supposed to be in Manhattan. And to actually, <coughs> excuse me, to actually lease an apartment like that in Manhattan, furnished with it like it is, was something like a million dollars. It's just outrageous amount of money. But we're getting messages... Oh, I'm sorry, hold on. <coughs> I was fine until Tim started talking about not being able to talk. <coughs> um, so we get this message that, you know, this is the kind of place we should enjoy living in, when in reality it's way out of most of our price range. We get messages um, through advertising. We get messages from our peers. We get messages, sometimes good ones, sometimes bad ones, from our family of origin, from our teachers, from people who are in authority in our lives. And often those messages uh, kind of gather around two main topics. One is, you are two, T-O-O, you are two. So what are some of the two messages that we get? You are too skinny. You are too fat. You are too, oh, thank you, thirsty. No, I mean, go ahead, yell it out. You are too, say it again, too cute. You are too cute. That's actually probably the good message, no? That's a bad message. I'm showing my age. Okay, <clears throat> what else? Too poor, too dumb. What else? Too outgoing, too sensitive, right? Too humble, too arrogant, too quiet, too naive, too, you are too. The other group of messages we often get is you are not enough. You are not strong enough. You are not successful enough. You are not financially secure enough. You are not confident enough. You are not pretty enough. You are not coordinated enough. You are not, I mean, we could just go on and on and on, right? You're not enough and you're too something. 
In other words, you're a mess. Thank you very much. I knew that without you telling me. And yet, those are the messages that we get. Every time we turn on the TV, every time we see a billboard, every time you know we interact with people, every time we go into a restaurant, every time you need to have this product, you need to eat this kind of thing, you need to live in this kind of place, you need to... That's what it means to have a life. This morning, we're going to look at what Paul says is some good news. Because he prays that we will know three things <clears throat> that will help us combat emotional overload in our email. Or maybe email in our emotional overload. In our emotional inbox. I don't know. There's a cool way to say that, but I'm too slow to get it. So here's what we're going to do. Three truths. Three truths about the gospel that are going to help us deal with the messages that the world is sending us. Because it's easy to believe those messages, right? Even just under the surface, it's easy for those to kind of get inside uh, and affect us. So the first is this. Verse 18, he says, I want you to know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope to which Jesus has called you? Hope in the New Testament, or really throughout the Bible, isn't like the word hope in English that often means wish. I hope the bears beat the lions today. I have a wish, a desire, that the bears will beat the lions. I don't have very much confidence that that's going to happen, but I hope it happens. Right? That's how we use the word hope most of the time. In the Bible, hope means confident expectation. What is our confident expectation? So Paul is saying, I want you to know what the confident expectation is to which Jesus has called you. And because it's an expectation, by definition, it's in the future. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying there's something in the future that we can be confident about, that we can expect that Jesus has called us to. So our first point this morning is this. Your destiny is glorious in Christ. You can have a confident expectation that your destiny will be glorious in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your destiny is glorious. God is preparing an amazing future for you. Did you know that? Did you know that that's what the Bible says? God is preparing an amazing future for you. When this life is over, you will have a destiny unequaled, unimaginable, incredible. Think about the last dream that you had that when you awoke, you wished you could have gone back to sleep because the dream was so cool. You ever dream like you're flying? You're just free. Or you dream that there's this amazing palatial residence and it's yours. Or you dream that that person that you hoped would fall in love with you fell in love with you. In my case, that actually happened. Or you dream <laughs> you dream that you have these amazing abilities or that you have this amazing position or this incredible job. The best dream you've ever had 
pales in comparison to your actual destiny in Christ. Your destiny is glorious in Christ. Why do I say that? Because the author of the Hebrews says, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. I say that because in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus lists a whole bunch of things that will happen to believers in Jesus. And here's just a, a partial list of what he says. He says, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God to those who believe in me. I will give fruit of the tree of life. What does that mean? It means your life will last forever, for all of eternity. It means the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life, means no more health problems. It means no more sickness. It means everything that's perfect about paradise of God, you will experience. In Revelation 2, 26 and 28, he says, I will give authority to you over all the nations. You'll have the same authority I received from my Father. How much authority does Jesus have? All. He says in Matthew, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And here he says, I'm going to share that authority with you. I will give you authority over all the nations. Revelation 3, 5. You will be clothed in white. In other words, you will be pure and holy and perfect. I will never erase your name from the book of life. I will announce before my Father and his angels that you are mine. You're in. You're on the team. You're an insider. You're part of the in group. Jesus is never going to pretend, that John, I wish he'd shake up. Kind of embarrassed about him right now. No. Your destiny is glorious in Christ. I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on, write on them my new name. <clears throat> Jesus is associating intimately with those of us who believe in him. We are together. We're a path that cannot be broken. They will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. We will sit on the throne with Jesus just as Jesus sits on the throne with his father. I'm not making up any of that. It's incredible. It's your destiny if you are a believer in Jesus. You will reign forever with Christ. You are blessed with all this spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have every good and perfect gift. Your destiny is glorious in Christ. So that's first. So what do we do about that? Well, think about it. Meditate on it. Paul says, don't think so much about the things that are on earth. Set your minds on things that are in heaven. Not because you're trying to escape the things that are on earth, but because the things in heaven give you the strength to deal with the things on earth. Your destiny is glorious in Christ. Nothing that you face today can compare to the glory that you will receive when you are in heaven. Number two, your destiny is glorious in Christ. Number two, your identity, your identity is glorious 
to Christ. Your identity is glorious to Christ. Look at the end of verse 18. Paul wants us to know what is the hope to which he's called us. And he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So let's look at this carefully. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What kind of an inheritance is it? What's that adjective there? Glorious. And the gloriousness is made up of what? Riches. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? So the inheritance includes riches, glorious riches in his inheritance. And whose inheritance is it? Mm, really careful. What are the riches of whose glorious inheritance? His. The inheritance belongs to Jesus. So why should I care about that? Where is the inheritance? Look at the book. Riches of his glorious inheritance in Chicago. In the saints, right? His glorious inheritance in the saints. This inheritance is in the saints. Who are saints? Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, right? What Paul is talking about here is the inheritance that Jesus has in us. And he says that inheritance, those saints, are gloriously rich. It's a, a gloriously rich inheritance that Jesus is receiving. He's talking about you being the inheritance that Christ receives. I think it's another way of him talking about how Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride. We are given to Christ. We're his inheritance. And it's a glorious, rich inheritance. Your identity as an inheritance, as part of the inheritance that Christ gets, is glorious to Christ. How does Jesus feel about you? Jesus feels about you the way I felt on January 20th, 1990, at 10 o'clock in the morning, in a church very much like this one on the north side of Chicago, Grace Gospel Church. It's called something else now. And I stood in the front of the church, and I looked back down the center aisle, and I saw the most beautiful, amazing woman walking toward me, getting ready to commit herself to me for life. I was stunned. I was stunned. I was speechless. I'm very rarely speechless. I was thrilled. I had a lump in my throat. This was amazing. That's how Jesus feels about his inheritance, which is you. Your identity is glorious to Christ. And the world wants to give us all these messages, and all our lives we've been receiving these messages. Some are good, most of them not so good. Our parents said things about us, our aunts and uncles, our grandparents, our siblings, 
our teacher, our peers. Like they, they give us this picture of who we are. But God has changed all of that. He's given us a new identity. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And this word glory is the same word that Paul uses earlier to talk about um, the, uh, uh, the grace of God in verse 6. And he talks about this glory as being the same glory that the Father has in Ephesians 1, 17. It's the same word. And it's the same word he uses about us. In fact, in Romans, Paul says this. He says, having chosen his people, God's called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, right? Justified us. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. You have glory. And your identity, who you are at the core of your being, is glorious to Jesus Christ. You are not changed. You are not not alive. You are who Jesus says you are. That is the truth. C.S. Lewis says, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That's who you are. If we could see you as Jesus sees you, if we could see you now as you will be seen in heaven, we might be strongly tempted to worship you. Your identity is glorious to Christ. Let your heart sink in that for a moment. Think about that. Do you ever feel like frustrated reading the Bible? Like it's hard to read the Bible, hard to get into it, hard to stay in it? Reading the Bible is like working out. If you work out one time, all you get is sore. Right? But if you work out a little, a few times a week, for six weeks, eight weeks, twelve weeks, you start to see some results. Reading the Bible is like eating. How many of you remember what you had for lunch two weeks ago last Wednesday? Yeah. But if you haven't eaten since two weeks ago last Wednesday, you'd remember that, right? You eat at least once a day, hopefully three times a day. You eat to feed your body, to nourish yourself. And over time, if you don't, bad things will happen. But if you do, and the more healthy you eat, good things will happen. So you read your Bible once, and it's like, okay, I kind of didn't get anything out of that. That was hard to understand. But over time, you read the Bible, and you read the Bible, and you let your mind meditate on it, and you soak in it, and you think about, well, what does that mean? And you ask God to open the eyes of your heart that you can understand. And you start to put the pieces together. And you start to get this supernatural confidence and joy and wisdom, and dare I say power, 
because God's word and his spirit are at work helping you to see the truth. But you have to you have to take in those messages, right? We get all these messages all day long that aren't the truth. But in God's word, we get the love and the acceptance and the truth about who God is and what he's done for us and who he's made us to be. He has made us uh, to have a destiny that is glorious in Christ. He's made us to have an identity that's glorious to Christ. And now let's look at the third thing. This is verse 19. <clears throat> the third thing he says, and I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness. Immeasurable. Not capable of being measured. The greatness of his power toward us who believe. The third thing is this. Your ability is glorious through Christ. Your ability is glorious through Christ. You have been given access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He goes on, he says, this power is this, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Your ability is glorious through Christ. Imagine that day, we're not talking maybe 80, sometime between 80, 30, and 80, 40. Jesus has been crucified. He's put in the grave. All the forces of evil are rejoicing. They are having a party. God had a plan. They thwarted God's plan. They killed the Son of God. He's cold and stiff in the grave. You can see him right there. And then God starts to do something. And, and you can sense that his power is coming to that place, that, that cave in the earth. And Satan marshals all of his forces, all of his unclean evil spirits and demons focus on that one place. Because if God raises Jesus from the dead, they know it's game over. All the evil powers in the universe focus. And yet what happens? And not only that, he seats him on the throne so that now he is above every ruler, every authority, now and forever in heaven and on earth and below. That's the kind of power that you have access to. Your ability is glorious through Christ. Let me ask you this question. Who's the most powerful person in the world right now? Person. Yeah, okay. So, human. Who's the most powerful human in the world right now? You're right, God is. Amazon. <laughs> Amazon's not a human. <laughs> um, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, he's, you know, he's not at Amazon anymore. I don't know. Who? Elon Musk? Maybe. I'm thinking about somebody who has more power than that, access to more authority. Typically, the President of the United States, um, at least for decades now, has been considered to be the most powerful person in the world. Because the President of the United States has an amazing military behind him, 
has um, a very rich country behind us and has a lot of influence around the world. So let's just say that the President of the United States is the most powerful person in the world. And this is not a political statement at all. The President happens to be Joe Biden right now. <coughs> and let's just say that I went into the ring with Joe Biden, right? Mano a mano. Just me and him. No secret service. You know, just me and him. What do you think? Could I take him? I think so too. Right? I think I could take the most powerful man in the world down. Why? Because he's not powerful because he is so strong or he is so smart and no president is powerful because of their own strength and their own uh, wisdom and their own smartness. Their president, they're, they're, they're powerful because of their position. Right? Their power comes because of the position that they're in. And what does Paul say our position is? He says we rule with Christ. He says uh, Jesus says in Revelation that we will sit on the throne with Christ. The power that we have doesn't come from us. It's God's power. We have access to it because of our position that's in Christ. And so Paul can say this. He can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he tells Timothy, you have not been given a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Of power. Your ability is glorious through Christ. It is immeasurably great. Immeasurably great to do what? Can I use God's power like some kind of uh, sorcerer and make the bears win today against the lions? Well, we'll see. No, of course not. Can I decide to turn one of you into a toad? Probably not. That would be kind of scary. Who likes toads anyway? No, but I have the power to resist sin. You have the power to endure oppression and persecution. You have the power to find joy even in suffering. You have the power to tell others about Jesus, sharing the kinds of things that we're discovering today so that they might turn to Christ and give up on their own way of life. You have the power to access the God of the universe anytime you turn your mind to him and think, I'll follow. You have the power to understand God's word. You have power. Your ability is glorious through Christ. You can do anything that God asks you to do. So what are you thankful for? What are you looking forward to this week of living out like a grateful? What's difficult in your life right now? I'm not saying it's going to suddenly become easy. 
What I want you to know is the difficulties of life when every message that you are receiving is negative. That your destiny is glorious with him. That your identity is glorious with him. And that your ability is glorious through Christ. Imagine what life would be if we lived like that was true. And imagine what God might do if we shared that truth with a broken and dying world. The power of the gospel. If we fill our minds with the messages of God, our emotions and our volitions are ruled with God. But we need to do it just like we eat. Every day, every day, every day, every day of the time. Before long, you'll notice a difference. And before long, people around you will notice a difference. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guide your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and for your great and precious promises. And thank you, Jesus, that though we often misunderstand you and think think that you're just mad at us all the time or disappointed in us, that in reality that you have made us new and that in Jesus you have made everything different. God, I pray that you would increase our faith, increase our joy with your verse today. Give us the courage to step out in joy and faith to see your hand at work in our lives. We pray this name. Amen.